Okay, today we're going to bring our series that we've been in. Honestly, this has probably been the longest series I've done. Uh, growing to spiritual maturity. We're going we're gonna to conclude it today, but we're going to touch on it. This is the, the theme for our year, basically. And this year, it's been so difficult, yet so meaningful for all of us, hasn't it? It's been a very meaningful year, as difficult as it has been. And we're going we're gonna to get started with a new series next week. I'll mention it at the end of the sermon. But uh, I think we're all ready to move on. But this morning, let's take a look at where we've been and let's bring a great conclusion to what we've been talking about, growing to spiritual maturity. I want to ask how many of you feel like you have grown this year? I'm not sure if I should, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you that. How many of you feel like you've grown spiritually this year? Wow, that's awesome. Whew, thank God. Okay, <laughs> it wasn't for naught. On January 2nd, we began this series by asking this question, what is it? What is spiritual maturity? And we all know someone that's been in church all their life, maybe, that maybe they've been in church for 40 or 50 years and they haven't grown spiritually. You know, maybe it's that friend or an adult uh, that, that you grew up regarding and somebody in the church, or maybe it was a, a family member, maybe it was... Maybe it was that aunt or that uncle, and you've seen them be in church for all these years, at least like, I, I know a guy that was in church, that's been in church for at least 45 years, and the decisions that he makes today are probably the same decisions that he would have made 20, when he was in his 20s, you know, like 40 years ago. So he hasn't really grown spiritually. I see him making the same decisions, no growth, no life change, he still uses anger the way he's always used it. Here's the reality. Spiritual maturity is not about aging. It doesn't come with aging. It doesn't come with time. Time gives opportunity for spiritual growth, but it doesn't mean that you're just going to grow spiritually. You've got to do the right things in the process of that to be able to grow spiritually, right? Spiritual maturity is also not instantaneous. Just because you accept Christ into your life doesn't mean that you're going to be saved or that, that you're going to grow spiritually, doesn't mean that. It means you might be saved, right? But how long you can stay saved without growing spiritually, that's a question. That's a real serious question. It doesn't come instantaneously. What does it take? Experience? Intention? It takes knowledge? It takes growing? It's, spiritual maturity is not about having spiritual gifts as well. Just because you have spiritual gifts doesn't mean that, you grow, that you're growing spiritually. And if you have something like the gift of prophecy, you better grow spiritually because you're going to end up using that one in a mega wrong way. And that's dangerous, right? Let me turn this speaker off. So it's important for us to grow spiritually, especially to be able to use our spiritual gifts. And it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, he was talking to the Corinthian church and he said to the church, he says, hey, you don't like any spiritual gift. Together, you guys have all the spiritual gifts that God gives out. And that's what God does. He gives out spiritual gifts so that you and I can work together and function together as a body. And he says to the church, hey, you guys have all the spiritual gifts you need. And then he goes, just two chapters later, he says to the same people, brothers and sisters, <clears throat> I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. He says, you've got all these spiritual gifts, but you're still babies. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. And then he says, here's how I know. For since 
There is jealousy and quarreling among you. Are you not worldly? And then he asks a question. Are you not acting like mere humans? What does that imply? It implies that God wants us to act better than humans. <laughs> Have you ever heard somebody say, well, it's just, I'm just human. I think there's some songs about, I'm only human, right? <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> just human. That's what you can expect. I mean, he says, God is expecting us to act more than humans. Why? Because his spirit came alive inside of you. So spiritual maturity is also not about laws. It's not about laws. It's about having a working relationship with God. Love that fulfilled the law. It's about getting to know what God likes and what God doesn't like and accommodating for Him in your life. That's spiritual maturity. And Jesus said this, if there's, if there's anything that sums up the law, it's the law of love. Learning the way of love. And we, listen, we change what we do and don't do because we love God. And if we do it for any other reason than that, we fall short. So here's the challenge I presented to you at the beginning of this year. And, and this is so, so key. And if you can remember what happened at the beginning of this year. And this was said before any of that happened. This world is entirely about growing to maturity in a relationship with God and with others. Growing to be like Jesus. That's what this world is about. Everything about it. God made it, shaped it, formed it, all the laws of science, all the laws of nature, all of it was formed for the one purpose of you and me growing closer in a relationship with God and each other and growing to be like Jesus. That's why this world exists. What does that mean? It means when you submit yourself to the basics of what God says about this life, you belong to God. I have grown in my understanding of what that looks like in the last few months. I belong to God. You belong to God. And that's why this world is here, because he owns it and he redeemed it. You were bought by him. You, everything in your life, your sin and everything was bought by God. Isn't that awesome? So you turn it over to him and you turn your life over to him. It's spiritual growth. Everything God says he does and everything God wants to do, that you get in tune with that. That's spiritual growth. All of your, and, and here it is. When you embrace all of these things, all of your life begins to make sense. When this world is about you growing in that relationship with God and with each other, you can look back on your life, all of your history, everything that's behind you, all of the struggles, all the pain, all the difficulties, even the stuff that you messed up. You can look and go, wow, okay, all of this makes sense now. And all of it, God turns for something good, for His glory, right? So we talked also about living out your divine nature, living out your divine nature. And this one was filled with questions. Here's one of the questions. Are you allowing that new you to shine through this body of sin and death? You have a new you inside of you. You're schizophrenic now. There's the old you and there's the new you. 
Are you allowing the new you to begin to shine through the old you? And here's another question. Can we begin to see the divine you? Can we see the divine you yet? When we look at your life, can we see God? And with that came these three questions. Where are you now? What is your position now? Where are you now? What is your location? And, and, and with that, it's, it's the question, what am I okay with? What's working in my life and what's not working in my life? That defines where you are right now. And then the second question is, is where are you going? Thinking about where am I going with my life? What am I doing with this life? Am I being a good steward with this life? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Where am I going? What does the future look like? And am I, am I on that right path? And here's the third question. How are you going to get there? What is the path to it? Are you going to get there? And specifically, we're talking about spiritual maturity. How are you going to get there? Well, John, I really am not interested in that. That's for people like you that are pastors. I'm just wanting, wanting to get to heaven. That's all I want. Wait a second. With spiritual maturity comes a lot of great things. Comes meaning in life and purpose in life. And it comes answers to all of your struggles in life. That you don't just endure through this life, but there's meaning to it. And so don't miss out on this. Spiritual maturity is something to go after. And it's wonderful. How are you going to get there? And here's how you start. You start with what you can change now. Just look around and say, okay, what can I change now? What can I do now? What can I do right now to grow spiritually? Maybe it's to get a devotional. I've got some daily breads on the, on the table back there. and There's some out here on the rack. You can grab a daily devotional. And you can begin to read, growing spiritually. You can begin to pray one minute a day. Some of you don't even do that. No, I know you guys do, all right? I'm talking to the people online. One minute a day, three minutes a day, ten minutes a day, whatever it is that you stop and you go, okay, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to actually start talking to God. I'm going to start reading the scriptures. I'm going to do this. Start doing something. I'm going to start showing up for men's group or the ladies meeting or the, 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 the youth group, whatever it is that we have offering, journey one, journey two, journey three, journey four, all the, 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 the you know what I'm saying. And it was in this sermon that we introduced this ladder of spiritual growth from 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter says this, his divine power, God's divine power. How many of you know that's a lot of power? His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. What is he saying? To be able to grow spiritually. Everything that you need. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness... Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Remember, we talked about those very great and precious promises, the things that God has said he's going to do for you, heaven is your future, all of that. And when you believe in that, it, it makes you secure for what you're doing today. And he says, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. I want to participate in the divine nature. Letting that divine begin to shine through, right? having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So Peter says, the corruption in this world is caused by our fleshly desires, the things that our flesh craves for. So we're called to live above that. We're called to live better than that. We're called to live better than the human condition today. How many of you are satisfied with the human condition today? None of us? Let's live better than that. This is how. Then he gives us this ladder. He says, the way to spiritual maturity is this. He says, for this very reason, 
because you want this, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to add to goodness knowledge, and to add to knowledge self-control, and to add to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance you add godliness, and to godliness you add mutual affection or kindness, and to mutual affection you add love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. How many of you want to be effective in the kingdom of God? We all do. He wants us, and we can be productive and in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. What is he saying? He's saying, if you don't increase in the, the measure of these things, if you don't grow spiritually, you're going to be nearsighted and blind. Blind to what? Blind to what God has promised you. It's going to be hard to see on a daily basis through all of your struggles and trials, that God has promised you these things. You're going to be blind to it. You're going to be nearsighted. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be hurt. You're going to be angry. Why is God allowing me to go through this? I don't understand this. And he says, don't be nearsighted and blind, but grow spiritually, and you'll be able to understand that everything that's happened in your life, all of the problems, all of the struggles, all the difficulties, and all the good things, all of your successes, and all of those things, all of it is about growing the relationship with God through Jesus Christ and with each other. And that is your future. That's awesome. All right, so growing to spiritual maturity, what is he saying? He's saying it's a process. It's a process. It's, a, it's not a short-sighted process. It's a long-term process. And that process, although it's difficult and it comes at different stages at times in your life, and it fluctuates. Sometimes you'll be up here in the process, and sometimes you'll be down here, and then you'll be up here, and then you'll be down here, and it fluctuates. But it's a progression to an ultimate moment of you having true love in your life. Because love is the epitome of it. So faith, here's our brick. This is an infamous brick, isn't it? <laughs> We've used it so much. Faith is that cornerstone, that foundation of our life. He says faith is that foundation. And he says, then add to your faith goodness. Add goodness to your faith. What is he saying? You begin to live a better life. You begin to live on the good side of life. You begin to add good things to your life. Add to your goodness knowledge. Knowledge. Why am I being good? Why does God say this is good for me to do? Why does God say this is bad? Instead of just saying, oh, well, I, 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 don't, I don't really care about that. I really don't really want to grow and understand it. And, and I don't really understand that part of God, why God says that's wrong or why God says that's bad. I don't really need to understand that. I just want to get to heaven. No. You've got to grow spiritually. Ask the questions and find out why God says something is good and something is bad. Why does he say that? That's knowledge. That's knowledge. Your brain and the world are going to challenge you on the things that God likes and doesn't like. And so you need knowledge to be able to understand that. And that's growth spiritually. So that why? You can tell others. And it will help you to reach, reach others for Christ. And then he says, add to your knowledge self-control. Self-control. 
Self-control is when you intentionally choose broccoli over ice cream. That's serious self-control. Self-control is when you choose water instead of Dr. Pepper. Even though it's, but it's got doctor in the name. It's got to be good, John. It's when you choose water over something else that could hurt you, right? It's self-control. Perseverance, he says, add to your self-control. Perseverance, then. You choosing good things, self-control, good, goodness, and choosing to grow in knowledge. You choosing good things for a long period of time. That's perseverance. For a long period of time. And then you make a shift. You make a shift and you come to godliness. Godliness. And the shift is this. So far it's been all about you receiving what you want in this life with God. Okay, I've got faith. I've got, I've got goodness. I've added good things to my life. I've got knowledge. I'm growing and understanding God's kingdom. And I've got self-control. Oh, man, finally, I've been able to lay that issue aside, that thing that kept grabbing onto me and I kept doing it that I didn't want to do and the things that I knew I shouldn't do I, uh, or should do. I, I started doing those things. I, I had, I, I've added all these great things to my life. And I've done it over a period of time. I'm feeling so good about my life. All of that is about you and your experience with God and with His people. But now God wants to take it even more more to a place where godliness is where others are now looking at your life and seeing God in your life. Others are now being inspired by you. Others are now looking at you going, man, that's great. Look at Wes. He looks like God now. He's, he's looking like God is doing something in his life. My goodness, look at Tom. I can't believe how he's changed in his life. It's amazing what God is doing in his life. And others are looking at you and starting to see God. That's godliness. Godliness. They used to see the worst things that you used to do. But now they're seeing you do good things for a long period of time. That's awesome. And this is where your light begins to really shine. When other people look at you and say, wow, they're becoming a godly person. Don't you want that? I do. And then he says, add to your godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness. What is that? This is where your light is really shining. This is where the rubber hits the road, per se, right? Not only are you doing the right things for yourself anymore, but now doing the right things is bringing greatness to everybody around you. Others are benefiting now from your good life. Others are learning because you've learned. Others are being inspired to lay aside their temptations, to lay aside their addictions because you laid yours aside. Others are looking at you and finding encouragement and hope and strength. Others are being fed by you because you have become a person of brotherly kindness, because you've become a person of godliness, because you have laid all of this on the line and said, God, this is what I'm going after. I want to be a spiritually mature person. And others are suddenly benefiting from you. Others are feeling the blessing of your life coming on them and others are feeling confident just because you're in the car or because you're on the plane they feel like things are going to be safe because you're there and your good deeds are suddenly meaningful to all the people around you that's brotherly kindness 
So then we get to the epitome of it. Add to your brotherly kindness love. His banner over me is love. Love. Love is doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. I can't think of a more simple definition of love than that. Doing the right thing at the right time for the right reasons. Motive. Your motive. 1 Corinthians 13, you know, that's the love chapter. It's a beautiful picture of love. And it helps us to also understand that we could mess up a lot if we don't do it in love. Whatever we do, we need to do in love. And it says we can mess up a lot if we don't do it in love. You can put on a very expensive suit or you could even put on some priestly robes and you can lead a church. You can do whatever. You can get in a high position in church. But if you do that and you do it without love, you've missed the whole point. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, you could have faith to move a mountain from here to here and actually do that. But if you don't do it in love, what's the point? He says, you can speak in the tongues of men and of angels. Beautiful voice. You could speak such eloquent words that sound so prophetic and so great. But if you don't do it in love, it's useless. That's how important love is. But notice that love is the end result of spiritual maturity. Love is, is the end of this process. It's actually just the beginning of a new life, right? When you finally get to a place where you learn how to love. And love comes as you grow spiritually. True love, that is. Now, this is where we mess up this process of spiritual maturity so much. We have to be very careful in our lives. But let me tell you for a minute about you know, how the world does this. The world looks at these things and tries to find a foundation of what to do. And they just reach in the grab bag of life. And they say, okay, what's my life going to be about? What am I going to do, do with my life? What's the foundation of my life going to be about? Okay, I pulled something out. Oh, money. Great. Money. I'm... I'm going to lay money as the foundation of my life. That's wonderful. But okay, now that I've got money, what else am I going to add to, to it? All right, let's see. What have I pulled out here? Ooh, well, no, I don't want to put that one out yet. Let's see. Oh, family. I'm going to do family. All right. Uh, now that I've got money, I'm going to do family. Let's see. Uh, how does that work? Huh. It doesn't seem to work very well. I better have two foundations to my life then, right? So we'll separate these two. Money, my wife doesn't get my bank account, and family. I've got two foundations then. These are two separate things. My kids are in family, and my wife is in family, and my money is over here. You guys don't find that funny at all, do you? <laughs> uh, let's see, what else is in the grab bag of life? Oh, lust, lust. That's a good one to build a foundation on, isn't it? Well, actually, let me just throw that one on family. Uh, it's still a problem. I have to, the balancing act here. So I end up with another foundation. Um, okay, this will be my secret life then. I've got money over here. I've got my family here. And I've got my secret life here. I've got, I've got a few different foundations. And that's okay, right? It's okay to do that, right? No? Okay. 
Um, well, oh, okay, well, let's add this one, sports. I'm going to sit around and watch sports all day since I can't play them very well. Um, let's see, where would I add that? Family? Man, this is still hard because family at the foundation. No, money? I'm going to put all my money into it. No. Well, okay, let me try to figure this out. How am I, see how confusing life can be? Politics. Well, we love to talk politics. Um, I'm going to put that on sports. It looks like it'll stay there. I'm going to get angry like we do in sporting events, and I'm going to talk about politics. That's what I'm going to do. And then, oh, I just like to do a bunch of activities in life. I like to go to the bar and all the different things to get around people and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just going to do a bunch of activities. But, but since it doesn't fit anywhere, I'm just going to have to lay that one aside, and, and it's going to have to be there as well. And I'm really not sure what the foundation of my life is, I guess. Hmm. Here we go. Activities, lust, family, money, politics. Oh, wait, education. I, I need to find a, a block for that. See how frustrating and confusing life can be? When you're trying to figure out what the foundation of life is and direction of life, but when you do it God's way, totally different. But say you come into the church and you decide, you know, that faith thing is good, but um, I want to try something different. I want it to be all about good deeds. I just want to be good. Let's say we make goodness our foundation instead of faith. This person believes that it's all about morality. And isn't that what we tell our government? Our government, hey, listen, the church, without the church, moral people will not be in your community. Oh, okay, well, we need the church then. And people buy into it that morality is the most important thing that we do in the church. And the problem with goodness, though, is if this is the foundation of your spiritual life, you just being good, let me ask you a question. If, if Christ is not the foundation of your life, if He's not that cornerstone of your life, then who is? Who's going to tell you what's good? Who's going to tell you what's wrong? Who's going to tell you what's, what's worth doing? Who's going to be the, the, the person that decides what good and evil is in your life? If goodness is there, you're just going to start saying, okay, well, I think this is good and I think this is bad because you don't have Christ there at the foundation telling you what is good and bad. But when you have Christ as the foundation of your life, then you can say, God said this is good and God said this is wrong. And I'm going to try to live by that because I love him and I'm going to accommodate for that in my life. And so goodness does not Work as the foundation of your life like your faith does. Goodness comes from your faith. Makes sense, doesn't it? Others will try to put knowledge as the foundation of their spirituality. Let's put knowledge as, as the foundation. You know, knowledge is, is important, right? Knowledge is good. It's necessary and it's available. But knowledge doesn't cut it. Why? Because your knowledge is limited. There's all this truth that's out there. And, as, and here's what I've come to understand. The more that I know, the more that I don't know. The more that I learned, the more that I haven't learned. 
And knowledge is just infinitely out there. Your knowledge is only based on what's handed down to you as well and what you're able to read. And now with the internet, it's, it's at your fingertips unlike ever before. And granted, there's more information that you can acquire in a lifetime. But honestly, there's so much truth out there. There's more truth out there than you can acquire in a thousand lifetimes. So knowledge is not something that should be the foundation of your life. And it's funny when I watch these, these young people who've learned so much on how to gather knowledge on the internet. You know, we've got this internet now. And, and it's funny, I'll, I'll be preaching and I'll see somebody that, that they get piqued on their interest or something and they start Googling to see if what I'm saying is true. And before you know it, they found the opposite of it. And they come up to me after church and they say, that's not true. <laughs> I'm like... Because of your two-second Google, my umpteen hours of research to find out what is right before I present it is just thrown out the window. That's hilarious. And these kids, it's so funny because they they look at their parents and they just roll their eyes. Their parents are so stupid because I have so much knowledge. And obviously, when I graduate from school, I'm going to be able to go out and I'm going to do way much better than my parents ever did because I'm so much smarter than them. And what happens to these kids? Well, the real world tears up their knowledge and hands it back to them and says, go home. You're done for the day, right? That's what happens. So we can, we can try to put knowledge there. It's important that we need it. Why? When we add faith to our lives as the foundation, we add goodness. And then we need to understand why the things God says are good are good. And why God says the things that are bad are bad. We need to understand that. And it's knowledge. And we also need to know who he is. It's a great, great thing to add to your spiritual life. Don't get it backwards. But then we could add self-control. Well, the most important thing in church is being able to control ourselves. Amen. Grit your teeth and don't do bad. You grew up in a church like that. But without goodness and knowledge, you've got self-control at the foundation of your life. And without goodness and knowledge, you don't know why you're using self-control. Why? Why can't I have that? Don't worry about it. It's the foundation of your life. Just grit your teeth and get through this life. Just do it. And without faith, we don't have God helping us to have self-control. You ever seen the movie Chocolate? It's a pretty funny movie, actually. It's about this guy who is, well, this is kind of the side story, but this is what I pick up on because I'm a preacher. This guy in the church, he's the, like the head of the church, and, and he tells the pastor what to preach. He writes the pastor's sermons for him and things. And, and the pastor, it's Easter Sunday coming, and the pastor is, is wanting to write his own sermons and things. But this guy is just so controlling the church. And there's this lady that comes into town like Mary Poppins. She just kind of, with the wind, she blows into town. And she's this beautiful lady that knows how to make chocolate and all kinds of chocolate treats. And she opens a store in town, and the man is so angry because she's spreading chocolate throughout the community. And people are going to her store, and she's saying things that's helping people throughout the community.
community. And he is so angry and so frustrated because the church should be that. And this is about self-control. And so one night he breaks into her, her shop and he's going to tear it apart. I don't remember all the details, but he's going to tear her shop apart. And he goes throughout and, and before you know it, he's there. And it's just a beautiful moment when all of a sudden he starts stuffing his face with the chocolate. And then the next scene is he wakes up in the morning, and I think it's Easter Sunday, and he's in the window of this place in a drunken chocolate stupor, asleep, as the church people are coming by and they're like, self-control, that's pretty much what it's going to get you. If that's all church is about, is self-control. No, you got to have faith. And you got to add to your faith goodness. And you got to add to your goodness knowledge. Why am I doing this? And then you'll be able to have better self control. Just makes sense, doesn't it? Some people do perseverance. You know, there are people that are tied up to trees, chained themselves to trees, saying, I'm just going to persevere through this life for God. And the only food they've got is any insect that might come their way or a squirrel that they can smash. Their, whatever. <laughs> that's the only food. They, this is, and they're just going to persevere. They're just going to get through this life. They're going to suffer through this life. <clears throat> believing that they're trying to appease some God. And here's the reality. The God of the universe, our God, Jesus, doesn't care about you persevering in that way. Without any purpose, persevering and suffering for nothing, God has a real life for you that will be enough for you to persevere. If you begin to build that life of spiritual maturity, you will have real things to persevere through. You'll have real trials to go through and real things to persevere through that God will reward you for. But if you go chain yourself to some tree, He's not going to reward you for that. Ludicrous. I see this in ministry a lot. There are those who are in ministry that they think, well, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pledge myself to poverty because I'm just going to persevere through this life. No, that's false humility, which is another word for pride. I'm going to pledge myself to celibacy. And, and Paul talked about there are some people that need to do that. I get that. But there are most, for the most of us, there's something inside of us that wants a mate, right? And, and the, but there are people who pledge themselves to that just because they want to say, I persevered. And God says, no, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. I have purpose and I have reason for you to be here. And I want you to enjoy your life and, and at the same time serve me and walk with me and grow spiritually perseverance does not need to be the foundation of your life but at some point perseverance is part of it for the right things and the right reasons and you've got to use wisdom for that godliness godliness put godliness at the foundation of your life guess what happens Ooh, i'm becoming a godly person guess what you become your own god and other people are looking at you going, ooh, that person must be like God or might be God. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're giving Kool-Aid to your people, right? <laughs> you put godliness at the foundation of your life. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. Let's put that at the foundation of your life, or your spiritual life. What does that look like? Well, these are the guys 
that that act like they're talking to a three-year-old all the time. Oh, hi. Oh, and they're so sweet. And they're so kind. Just kind. And that's what church is about. Everybody's loving. Oh, and butterflies are everywhere. We're just here to be kind to each other. There's no purpose. There's no correction. There's no rebuking. and There's no training in righteousness. It's just kind. And let's just be kind. Oh, no, brother, sister. Just be kind. Really? <laughs> That's not what brotherly kindness is. But you put that at the foundation of your spiritual life, you're going to think that's what it is. When you get to brotherly kindness... And you start seeing that you are encouraging people to step it up. And people are around you becoming better because you became better. And people's lives are growing out of the pits of despair to a place where they're, sta where they're stable because you became stable in your life. Because you don't have to be calling on everybody to help fix your life anymore. You're there now for others to be able to call on you to fix their lives and to help them through stuff. That's brotherly kindness. And to come to Christ, you don't have to turn in your man card or woman card. Amen? You just be who God created you to be perfect image of him is what you want to go after. And then there's love. Love. And this is one where a lot of people get it wrong. We've got love there. If we put love at the foundation of our lives, this is, we mess up a lot. All you need is love. You've got it. I think that's the words. And Jesus said, yeah, this is, uh, this is how we sum up all the commands, love. Yeah, I get that. But unless you take the journey to true love, where it's at the top, it's not love. It's not. Well, I place love at the foundation of my spiritual life. Okay, that's great. When you put love at the foundation of your spiritual life, what does it look like when you try to add goodness? Uh, it can't be. Well, so what do we do? We twist it. Because it doesn't fit there, we twist it and we turn it into something that it's not. So that we can then, oh, I'm gonna, now I'm going to build on top of it. Just gonna love, accept everything. Really? How do you love and accept everything that is happening? Because with every problem that someone, with every perpetrator, there's a victim, right? So how do we how do we how do we do that? How do we validate everything? You can't do that. But we build on this as though love is the foundation of it all, and it's not. Our faith in Christ is. And so, well, somewhere along the way, I'm going to add my faith. And you put faith up there at the top. That's a pretty shaky situation. What happens? Your life comes crashing down. Because love was never intended to be the foundation of your life. 
your faith in Christ is. True love is only achieved through spiritual maturity. David, would you come? So this messy, unspiritual religion is what Paul was pointing us to in Romans chapter 10. Messy, unspiritual religion. And he says, believe me, friends, all I want for Israel is what's best for Israel. So you've got Paul, this guy that was called to reach the Gentiles. And he says, I used to be a leader of leaders, a Pharisee of Pharisees among the Israelites, and I still have a heart for them. All I want is what's best for them. And what is best for them? Salvation. Faith. Nothing less. I want it with all my heart, and I pray to God for it all the time. I readily admit that the Jews are impressively energetic regarding God. But they're doing everything exactly backward. What's he saying? He's saying they're putting love first. Then they're putting brotherly kindness next. Then they're putting godliness there. And then perseverance. And then self-control. And then knowledge. And then goodness. They've got it backwards. And then they add faith. And it doesn't work. They're doing it everything backwards. They don't seem to realize that this comprehensive setting things right, that is salvation, is God's business, and a most flourishing business it is. Right across the street, get this in mind, right across the street, he says, over there, they've set up their own salvation shops and noisily peddle their knockoffs. After all these years of refusing to really deal with God on his terms. Isn't that where we mess it up? God says, okay, here's what it is that, that it means to be saved. Here's what it is to have a relationship with me. Here's what I'm telling you it takes to grow spiritually. And he says, you won't deal with me on, on my terms. You still want to do things your way. You still want to live your life your way. You still want to have your stuff that you do. And, and, and you still want to take it your, your direction in life and get done what you want to get done. And he says, I want things done on my terms. Insisting instead of making their own deals, they have nothing. Insisting instead on making their own deals, they have nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. What does that mean? It means they never reached love because you do all this stuff and you don't do it in love. There's nothing to show for it. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 says. He says these, these religious leaders, they do all this stuff and there's nothing to show for it. So growing spiritually means dealing with God on His terms, not yours. Growing spiritually. Have you embraced Him yet? Have you accepted God as Lord of your life, really? So where do you begin? Here's where you begin. You say, God... I want to make you the cornerstone of my life, the chief cornerstone. 
I'm not just going to put you up on the wall somewhere with the other bricks of my life. Everything is going to now be built on you. Faith in you. He says, start doing some good things in life. Add to your faith goodness. Start there. What can you change today? What can you do that's good today? What can you stop doing that's wrong? Then add to your goodness, knowledge. Show up for church, do your own Bible reading, come to classes, be careful who you listen to. But add to your goodness, knowledge grow in knowledge and then you add some self-control okay this is why I need to do that and now I want to do it for a long time I want to persevere I want my family and I want my friends to begin seeing God in my life I want them to begin seeing God in my life godliness and by all means, I want my family and I want my friends and I want my church family to begin benefiting from me living a better life. I don't want to be the one in the family calling for people to come get me off the side of the highway because I didn't buy gas again. I want to be the one going to help somebody. I want to be the one that's stable in my family's life and my church family. I want to be that one. And then finally, you get to love. Well, love just comes naturally for me, John. I have something for you. It's called a boundary. <laughs> if you think you're natural at loving, guarantee you you're alone this is the way to love so this is where you begin start today with your faith where are you on this today do you need more knowledge if you can't find what you're looking for give me a call give me a text that's why we have a body of Christ why we have people in our lives. If you need help overcoming an addiction, self-control and perseverance, we want to get you there. There's a way. There's a way. So we're going to be going into a series next Sunday called Living a Meaningful Life. Living a Meaningful Life. I don't know about you, but I want to be meaningful. I want my life to matter. It's not too late. No matter how old you are, your life can matter. And it does. So would you bow your heads? Maybe you're here today and you need to accept Christ into your life. Maybe it's been a long time since you've talked to him. Do you need to go all the way back down to that faith?
Do you need to reestablish that as the foundation of your life? If so, do it today. Do it today. Do it right where you are. Lord Jesus, I invite you to come into my heart and be Lord of my life. Thank you for your forgiveness that was paid for on the cross. You bought all of my sin, all of my failures, but you bought my future as well. And so today I willingly confess I am a sinner and I need you. And I invite you to come into my life, be the foundation of my existence. And God, I ask you to help me to do what John is talking about. I want to grow spiritually. And I want to learn the way of love. I want to be all that you made me to be, the ideal person that you created me for. So I give you my life today. In Jesus' name. And if you're here today and maybe you're struggling with some kind of an addiction of some sort, or maybe just a sin that you just keep falling into, would you begin talking to him? Ask him for wisdom and guidance. God, maybe, maybe they need to step back and look at some more knowledge and gain some more understanding about this situation. I pray that you would open up doors, the right books, the right people to speak into their life, that they would be able to gain knowledge to understand why they need self-control in this area. I pray, Father, for deliverance. I pray that you would give us self-control to be able to overcome any and all temptation. The temptation to not do good and the temptation to do bad. Help us, O oh God, to overcome that temptation. Help us to be victorious in it, in Jesus' name. I thank you, Father. I thank you for deliverance right now. I believe it's happening. Thank you, Father for self-control. Thank you, Father, for perseverance. God, as we move into a place of godliness, that this community would also see a church of people that are becoming so godly. Brotherly kindness begins to affect the community. That this community would smile because this little church exists. Good things happening all throughout the week because the people of God are rising up and becoming blessed and being a blessed creature. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And by all means, God, help us to get to love. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.